everything needs to come in its own time. My boys are not yet men. They shouldn't be men. And I mean, one of the things that we're sort of pushing against in society are all these ways in which society is inviting boys and girls too to to grow up more quickly. And one important piece has been to protect their childhood as much as I can, you know, in a variety of ways, whether it's sort of like limiting the technology or the conversations that my wife and I have in front of them, or the conversations that a group of adults have in front of them to just as much as possible, give them as much of their childhood as they can have. And then I think expand more consciously and, and invite them more consciously into the aspects of being an adult that they're eventually going to take on. Welcome to Crazy Wisdom. I'm your host, Luke Antrup. Crazy Wisdom is our show about the wild, the unexpected and interesting places we find ourselves in during our quest to live a life of deeper meaning and deeper truth. My hope is with each conversation and each story, you discover a new part of yourself on your journey towards making the most out of this one wild and precious life. This is a Soulfire production. We have a special treat for you all this week. My guest this week is Ted Rose. Ted is an executive coach, a retreat facilitator, and an entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, Ted. Great to be here, Luke. Yeah. So, Ted, we have known each other for several decades now. And, you know, just so the listeners can, can kind of understand this, we met back in 2002, and you and I have been collaborators and business partners and worked on many things, many experiences, many offerings together. So I'm thrilled to have you on the show. And I think this, this conversation is going to feel a little different than a lot of other conversations that we've had on the show, because you and I, we always stand next to each other working on building really interesting and unique offerings for the world. So welcome to the show, Ted. So glad to be here. And I've appreciated a lot of the conversations you've had so far, especially a few of them that relationships that began at the same place that you and I met. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, take us back. Paint a picture. Sure. Exactly. Well, I remember when you were speaking to Bill Kauf and talking about Jumbo Kelly. And in both those cases, both those men were part of that gathering that we had in Ontario, Canada. And a lot of us came together, people that had been participating in the Mankind Project, curious about how we could support younger men. And you and I, along with a couple other people, uh, foolishly stepped into the circle to, uh, to take it on. And, uh, and we did. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And we, we created some retreats for young, young uh, adults around mentorship and kind of rites of passage, coming of age. Curious, though, for you, you know, I know a bit about your story before that moment. And I think it'd be helpful just to, you know, like you as a young fella in your 20s, you were doing men's work and there weren't too many of us. It was mostly us and some, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 year old men. And those of us that were in our 20s at that time, it was a rather unique experience. So when we found each other, we were like you, a, a fellow so brother that, that has faced some deep part of himself that is trustworthy because of it and it kind of lives from a deeper way of being. I'm just curious if you could say a few words about what brought you into men's work to begin with. Yeah, and I'll say that even for, I was living in New York City at the time, so it was even more different, I felt like, from my surroundings there, surrounded by the people that were really focused on making big careers and not focused on inner work particularly. But for me, I was searching. I spent my 20s in New York City as a television producer. 
Um, and that was, and then also doing other journalism after television. But essentially, I was trying to invent a life for myself that kind of made sense within the context that I'd emerged from, which was a couple of college professors. And I essentially gravitated to the most entrepreneurial thing that I could find, which was journalism in the realms that I knew. So when I encountered men's work, when I encountered the Mankind Project, it was like a like a a portal to something completely different in my life. And soon after that, I found meditation and you know other contemplative disciplines. But turns out that men's work was really the key, and 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 that that uh, that opening kind of paved the way for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. And so when we met. It was under this, this context of creating some sort of deep, meaningful, transformational experience for young men. We shortly, after we got started, we realized it was for young people. It wasn't just men's work. It was giving these, these rites of passage, these transformational experiences, retreats and gatherings for young people. You know, I'd love to just, you know, hear from you, like as one of the people that I think creates some of the most incredible, <laughs> deep, meaningful experiences for other people, you know, just part of this conversation, I'd love to understand, you know, what are the elements for creating just, uh, you know, something that will change someone's life pretty profoundly, right? And I've seen you do this, right? Like we, we did some great work together, as we've described in, in our 20s and 30s. But, you know, if you ever even just like go to a party at Ted Rose's house, you know, you're going to leave <laughs> a changed human. It's going to have some incredible through line, some golden thread of, a, of an arc of a story, and it's going to have some sort of theme and element. And you're going to be asked to examine yourself in a very deep way and probably have a pretty deep conversation with a few humans in front of you. And so I'd love to just you know, understand from you, like, what are the elements of a really powerful experience, transformational experience? You know, I love that question. It's a fun investigation, and you've always been a fun person to create those with. I think a key element that that we both seized on really early on is kind of the departure from the normal, um, like leaving, going somewhere else. I mean, whether you're coming to a party or whether you're going to a retreat center, uh, to me, in my experience, all the real growth that I've done has occurred on retreat somewhere separate. So I think that that's, that's a huge element. And Another another large element, another significant one is intention. Like, why are you then leaving? What what exactly are you looking to to do where, wherever you are? I mean, obviously, if you're at a birthday party, that's that can be something. A part of it could be mundane, but then there could be deeper elements to it, right? I mean, there can be multiple levels of intention, right? And so, those two elements, uh, I think, kind of set in motion a lot. The one that I would add that I know is near and dear to your heart, and then I'm curious what you might add to this, but, but, but would be a willingness to not just physically leave a, your normal context, but also your willingness to like embrace discomfort. You know, your willingness to do something that you might not understand, do something that you might not normally do for sure, but essentially your willingness to expose yourself to, 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 to new things. And then when you combine all that, when you combine sort of going somewhere, when you combine an intention to grow, to, to pass through something, whatever that might be, and then this willingness to take risks in terms of how you're actually choosing to show up there, I think that gets us a lot of the way. But Luke, I want to know, what would you add to that list? Well, I mean, I would just, I would underline the last point, which is the only way that I have found to grow myself and to see other people grow is through discomfort. 
rarely does it happen through our same habitual ways of being. So in order to show up differently in the world and to be a fuller expression of ourself, it requires that we do something different, which is often uncomfortable. You know, I mean, very simply put, it's like, this is why, you know, cold plunges work, right? To train the mind through extreme levels of discomfort where the the natural reaction is to get out of the cold water as quickly as possible, but to stay in and keep breathing and keep training our nervous system. This is why that is like some serious Jedi training of working with discomfort. And if we look at it through the context of these transformational experiences, you know, facing some part of ourself can be really uncomfortable or having a difficult conversation with a loved one is uncomfortable, but it's, that's how we get to the next level. And frankly, like that is the genesis of this podcast, Crazy Wisdom, right? The whole concept that um, we have to try something different, something unique, something non-ordinary in order to grow. And sometimes it becomes, you know, there's entertaining and interesting stories that emerge from that. But fundamentally, you know, uh, discomfort is the path to evolution. Yeah. And I mean, I think about our friendship and parts where there have been, where we've created experiences, but also where we've kind of had to turn experiences that we had to have into retreats. And I'm thinking of like you going back to Kansas City, you know, like that period of your life. Like that wasn't something which is necessarily a professional highlight or anything, but it was a moment where uh, maybe I could hear it from you. To me, it, it turned into a practice. <laughs> okay, Kansas City. Here's the Kansas City chapter, dear listeners. See, this is the thing when you when you invite one of your best friends on your podcast, you get you get these things that you you just forget about, right? So when I graduated from Naropa University, I ended up with you know not a clear path to my next thing. And, you know, was looking at, you know, having just paid for a private school. And I had this offer from an old friend to help run his restaurant in Kansas City. And I decided to do it. And I decided to do it for one year. And I just, you know, banked, I paid off much of my student loans. And I worked like 12 hours a day, six days a week. But I also was practicing yoga two to four hours a day at an amazing Ashtanga studio in Kansas City. I was deep in my meditation practice. I have this visual of me sitting in this like private dining room of a steakhouse in <laughs> suburban Kansas City on the on New Year's Eve of, I think it must have been 2005. And I, I just have this picture of me sitting in a dark, uh, shut down dining, like a private dining room in full Lotus meditating at the strike of midnight for the year 2005, which was, you know, that was kind of the vibe I was in was like deep, deep practice while making some money doing work that just was wholly uninspiring, but was part of a plan. Even hearing you talk about it right now, it's like I hear the discomfort with the actual work piece. But when I think about that time for you, it's like that's the part that I was inspired by was that you showed up for that work that did not feed your ego in any particular way. It actually was an insult to your ego. And, and to me, that is like that is the stuff that I feel like we're talking about. It's like finding those lines and, and sort of and leaning in. Right. I mean, my story was a little more conventional. Right. It's like I was in New York. And doing all this stuff, we met, did the men's work. But for me, the big break was when I got in a car and, and drove with no particular destination in mind and ended up at a retreat center in Colorado because you sent me there. Um, but, you know, living up at that retreat center was kind of my moment of like, you know, having to, I wasn't paying, I wasn't, I wasn't filling up my bank account with that period of time, but I was replenishing 
other energy that I'd really expended, right? Yeah. And, and, and training in, in a way that ultimately kind of set the ground and the context for, you know, the next phase of my life. Right. Yeah. So in the wonderful book, Iron John, Robert Bly wrote this book about, you know, kind of the, the mythological, mythopoetic point of view of, of being a man and masculinity. And it's part of this, the Iron Hans tale, the Grimm's fairy tale, Iron John or Iron Hans. After he has his kind of pivotal moment, right? He goes and he works as an apprentice to a baker. And his job is to clean the ashes out of the stove, right? And, And there's this, the metaphor here is like working in the ashes, right? So in a younger man's life, there's always this period of apprenticeship, of finding one's way, of doing things in a mundane way until we reach some level of mastery. And, uh, you know, I think for both of us in, a, in their own way, that, that was a period of working, working in the ashes. Yeah? I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think that part of what we've both been interested in as we've kind of, you know, worked together or bounced off each other these years is is not necessarily changing anything about it, but but just be bringing a lot more awareness to it, uh, being aware that that is exactly what we're doing right now, and 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 ultimately, I feel like that that has a number of benefits. One is I think it kind of cut down on some self aggression, which mm-hmm. is pretty easy to have as you're kind of trying to find your way through life in an authentic way. It's easy to turn on you know yourself, and it also ideally just makes the uh, the fruit of the labor more juicy it just mm-hmm. makes it makes ultimately the, the 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 whole process more productive and more and and producing more for the rest of the world yeah well said yeah so we now find ourselves you know my friend of many years we now find ourselves with youngins ourselves <laughs> we're both fathers mm-hmm. of of middle school age children and you know it's interesting how the the content changes around around these conversations of self reflection and self improvement right. but the spirit of the 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 perspective or the point of view doesn't necessarily change which is like how can i use what is in front of me to become a better version of myself and my goodness <laughs> i don't know that i've ever come across a thing that has helped me grow into a better version of myself at a more rapid pace than becoming a parent <laughs> i mean absolutely this is like this is like real true, true Jedi training. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't go away. <laughs> it just keeps going. Yeah, for sure. And a very common experience that a lot of parents have is that we have some ideals or we have a vision about the type of parent we think we should be or thought we would be. And then there's the parent who we actually are. <laughs> and, and that gap between this, I mean, I talk to most parents and there is a gap <laughs> about the perfection ideal and the reality of what it means day to day to be a conscious parent and to really help our children become who they're meant to be. What I appreciate about you is you've really, you work with that, that tension of the gap in a really thoughtful and gracious way, always with a focus on how to be a better parent. I'd love to just get your thoughts a little bit about you know, this, this path of conscious parenting. I'll give you my thoughts and you give me yours. Okay. On my side, I would say that then the most important practice that I've had, like you said, and I think that it's relentless and a good, a good practice finds the weaknesses and, and finds the gaps, as you say. And so for me, you know, with parenting, 
especially I feel in some respects right now, kind of in this, there's a bit of a sweet spot where physically it's not as demanding as it was early. The teen years are going to kind of be their other challenge that hasn't quite emerged for me yet. So I feel in some respects like this is one of the easier phases, but man, that physical phase took everything out of me. I mean, it was just, it was exhausting. And, and, and I felt like I just had to find ways to, uh, I found ways that I was living that were inadequate to the challenge that I was faced in order to, as you said, kind of be able to be the type of parent I want. I mean, exercise has become much more important for me since then. And other practices have become more important. My personal practices have become more important as a parent because if I don't do them, I just can't show up the way I want to show up. And that that's very different from when I was in my early 30s and meditation or yoga was something that in some respects, the benefits were a little more conceptual. Uh, and But now, once I became a parent, the benefits were I'm not going to check out on my kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. What, what about you? Well, I mean, what what it brings to mind is the kind of before having children, after having children. Mm-hmm. There is a certain luxurious, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but just a certain luxurious self-centeredness that happens before you have children where you're able to really cultivate a deep level of understanding one's, my own internal processes, my thoughts, my emotions, my following my desires in a way that helps me understand who I really am. Like there's this um, impulse to follow what's on my heart as an expression of my own evolution, right? And (laughs) my my own evolution has changed since having children. That impulse isn't not always able to, structure of my life does not allow me to, if I feel like I need to spend time in Bali for six months to really follow my dreams, like I can't do that. In this, and so there's this, and it's it's all beautiful. It's a love offering, right? It's a love offering to my family. It's not. There's no. Rarely do I have any like kind of contraction around it. There's a thing that happens where the focus then is shifted around this like selfless being part of a family unit, giving to a family in a way that, or putting my children's needs above my own. That is quite confronting to the ego structure to uh especially to those of us that have you know you know spent so much time around this idea of like self-realization right there's a way in which the path of a householder your definition of of kind of self-realization shifts quite a bit because it's not so much about like i need to spend eight hours in meditation a day to understand the depth of my consciousness i might get those times and i have to make those times occasionally but the practice is much more in the the mundane day to day, like how do I deescalate a situation with my kids, or how do I, you know, check my own reactivity, and that is a whole nother kind of metric of success, if you will. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely, absolutely. And and for those people listening, they don't necessarily know what a big sacrifice it is. I mean, for you to not be able to go to Bali for six months is something which is extraordinary in, in your in your life. I mean, you, you were able to create so much, I mean, when I met you. So to see the shift of you working with the material that you have, the limitations that you have, has, has been one of the most instructive things for me, frankly. Yeah. And I mean, I truly, it feels like I put that all on the altar of love, right? Yeah. Truly, it feels like, you know, the feeling in my body is that I just am like uh, heart open, bowed down, exposed, kind of 
willing, like this willing, beautiful sacrifice to, to the, to my children. And that feels great. You know, I've been thinking about this question lately. So we both have, how old is your, your boys are how old? 12 12 and 10. Yeah. 12 and 10. And my son is just about to be 11. I also have a nine-year-old daughter. What's been on my mind quite a bit lately is how do we raise good men? Mm -hmm. This question of what does it take to create the conditions for young, a boy to find his path and become a man of integrity, a man of purpose and passion, a man that understands his own power and allows his power to guide him in a way that is trustworthy to the world and has full impact. You know, how do we do that? And I've been sitting with this question quite a bit, and I know you have as well. And, you know, wondering if you have any, any answers. Well, I mean, the one that comes to mind that certainly impacts the retreat that we're offering is, is that everything needs to come in its own time. You know, it's like my boys are not yet men and, and they don't, they shouldn't be men. And I mean, one of the things that we're sort of pushing against in the society is are all these ways in which society is, is inviting boys and girls too to, to grow up more quickly. And part of my personal history was that I kind of grew up quickly too, because I was a product of divorce and was an only child. And so very early on, I was taking on, you know, it wasn't like somebody told me to do it, but I was taking on a lot of things that were quite adult at early ages. So for me, as a father of my boys, uh, I, I feel like one important piece has been to protect their childhood as much as I can, you know, in a variety of ways, whether it's sort of like limiting the technology, or if it's like, the conversations that my wife and I have in front of them or the conversations that a group of adults have in front of them to just as much as possible, give them as much of their childhood as they can have. And then I think expand more consciously and, and invite them more consciously into, into the, the aspects of being an adult that they're eventually going to take on. Yeah, that's really great. You know, it brings to mind this idea that Frederick Marx actually talked about when he was on the show. So for those that are interested, go back and listen to the, to the episode with Frederick, who Ted knows quite well as, as well. Frederick's been part of you know, many of these experiences we've created, or at least a few of them. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, in his research, he, he points to Bill Plotkin's work that says, you know, there's really two periods of, of rites of passage or threshold phases in a boy's life on his path to become a man. The first one happens around 11 or 12. And this is about, you know, kind of, it's not actually becoming a man at that age, as you say, but there mm-hmm. is this big transition that happens around wanting to un- have a sense of mastery over one's body or over some skill and feel part of a team or a unit or a tribe, right? So this is where sports you know, teams come in or, you know, classically, you know, Frederick talked about like Boy Scouts or joining a band or, you know, like these having some level of uh, cultivating excellence in one's being and in one body and then being part of something right it's it's just very a very formative part of you know period to, in this way now there's another one which is the bigger one and that is the initiation into manhood that happens a little later around 16 17 18 right that that is the transition into what Plotkin talks about as the soul initiation right and that's that is a bit of a you know, connection to a transpersonal mission, something greater than the ego, there's soul work there. That's the, 
the, the classic rite of passage of you were a boy, now you're a man, right? And so our boys, our children, you know, our kids are in this transition period of wanting to really, you know, they're not yet men and they should, there does need to be some protection and some boundary and container around it. But there also is this cultivation that we can help uh, or this, this sense of, of really being excellent at something that we can help foster in them. Curious how this, you know, this concept lands with you. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I see it in my daily life as a parent. And I think that it, for everybody who's a parent of kids this age, it would be hard not to find the evidence of it. For example, you know, my older son has just gotten into coin collecting. And the thing that he wants to do more than anything is for me to take him down to uh, the store where he can talk to the expert um, about wheat pennies and Indian head pennies and all these different types of quarters and all this kind of stuff. And I see with him the way that he's approaching this, all the elements that you're talking about, this desire to control this very modest venture and to seek out trustworthy, credible, smart people that can actually help him and aid him on his journey. And sort of what a 12-year-old is doing to kill time in the winter, I can see all the themes that, that we've worked with, but I could, I could just see it with what he's doing. And, and I see my role in that case as to, it's quite straightforward and obvious, support it and help and, and guide and encourage and try to keep him on track when you know he gets upset at himself. Yeah, yeah, good. That's a great example. Yeah, my, my guy, he's taken to mountain biking. And it's really interesting. He's a very, very physical guy. And his exact language is, this is my thing. This is my thing. This is the thing that I'm going to get really good at, right? Like he, that's as he describes it. I think it's like, you know, it's, it's very appropriate for the stage he's in. He wants to cultivate a sense of extreme mastery and become, you know, a very good mountain biker. And he's part of a team. He gets to hang out with other kids that, that have that interest and feels part of it. And there's that sense of community that, is so necessary, especially coming out of the pandemic and so much social isolation. I just feel like this, these are the experiences we can give our kids that are, that are really meaningful. So I think it's a good time to drop in here that you and I are collaborating on this new endeavor. And part of why I wanted to have you on was to have you share and for me to share a little bit more about this, the retreat that we're offering for boys and their father figures. And you know, when I, much of the conversation is kind of a prelude to you know, this it, this thought that I've had that I've been tracking over the last couple of years of watching my boy begin to grow and individuate and pull away in a certain way, although it's, it's beautiful and perfect, it, it's sometimes as uncomfortable as I feel him getting older and older and feel him becoming, you know, on the path to becoming a young man and wanting to give him an experience of a rite of passage, of making this passageway into the teenage years a meaningful one. And, you know, mostly because I want to be one of the people that's there for him when he has hits some even more challenging times as a teen, you know, just like I, I thought about this, like, how do I create an experience to snap our relationship out of its rut, out of its, its kind of the same old way of relating and create an experience where we can go deeper so that we can have a deeper conversation that so hopefully he feels that I'm there for him as he enters into his teenage years. And I started thinking about this and I, you know, I was like, I want to take him out into the wilderness. I want to do some sort of rites of passage with him. And I started thinking, 
really want him to be around other men that I trust and that are good role models for him. And of course, you were the first guy that came to mind. It's like, well, I got to have Ted there, right? <laughs> and uh, and I got I got to have a couple of other buddies that I really appreciate and know that are good role models for him. And and it occurred to me, like, oh, well, Ted has this boy. He has he has two boys. Like two of them. <laughs> two. He has two boys. Like, what do we? Why don't we do this together? And then it occurred to me, this is actually the world ne- probably needs this more than just you and I need it. And so we've you and I have started working together on this program, the father-son connection experience as, as a way of offering a rite of passage into the teenage years. And uh, yeah, I'm just, it's been a really, really fun process up until this point. And uh, yeah, I'd just love to hear from you a little bit about, you know, your why, why you've chosen to co-found and co-create this endeavor with me. Yeah, I'd love to answer the question. And I do it in a little bit different way, which is to say that my, my father visited me this weekend, my 83-year-old father. And I was asking him about his relationship with his father, which was never particularly good. But what I was asking him was, you know, was there ever a time where, you know, you did anything together that brought you, you know, connection? And, you know, quite sadly, there was very little, right? But we kept talking about it and kept exploring. And, and after a while, he, he said, well, you know, actually, there was one thing that, that we did. My my father got a, a high fidelity system, which, you know, in the, in I guess the 50s was a very big deal and it was a very expensive system. And his father would take him into New York City. They lived in New Jersey and they would go to a record store together. And his father would say to him, you can get whatever records you want. And my dad, you know, at now 83, looks back on, on, on those trips as kind of the, the most intimate connection that he had with his father. So I really was like, was it? You know, what did you get in that? You know, and 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 he said, "Well, I felt like I felt his presence. Like he was he was he was absolutely dedicated to me. You know, when we were in that record store, I also felt his generosity. I felt that he wanted, you know, he wanted me to have records that I was interested in, which was not something that he got at other points in his life from his father. He felt a lot of resistance and judgment from his father. But in that, you know, when they were when they were in that record store." Man, his father was like, you know, he was celebrating his interests and he was encouraging them by allowing them to, to get records. And, and here it is, you know, whatever, 70 years later. And my dad is, is still sitting with the, those memories as even though, you know, there were a lot of misses between him and his father, you know, what went into the bank in those few record store visits was significant. So when I think about how to give, to give gifts to my son and how to help other people, other men give gifts to them. I feel like the number one thing that, you know, we can create is a space and a time and a setting, you know, where it's different and and where our attention is focused on them, which is, I think, what all kids want from their parents, right, is, is attention. And so for me, the great sort of motivation and why I'm so excited to be doing this with you is that we're creating a space for us to be able to focus on our sons and and now talking to other people that are coming, just such a gift to be able to help other fathers uh, have that with their their sons and and then you know and then you kind of can graft on all the other stuff that we've talked about before about like what is appropriate at this age to be thinking about and focusing on mastery and and emotional intelligence and embodiment and 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 the things that are a fit for the age. But really, being together, being together in an entirely different way, being together without technology, being together without other family members and without sort of, you know, you know, 
just stripping away so much of the noise to allow what is an innate, loving, nurturing connection, you know, to have some more space. Yeah, that is wonderful. So I want to paint a picture. My boy and I, I wasn't feeling so connected to him last. I mean, I always feel connected, but there was a little bit of a, we were in a rough patch last summer and he was just kind of having a hard time. And the one thing I know that always works is if uh, we get outside into the wild together, into the wilderness. And so I, you know, I set up a backpacking trip in the high Sierras, uh, south of Yosemite in just the wild, wild backcountry, not a lot of other people around. And there's something about the quest of moving into a place of ruggedness and disconnection from phones that, and the, the physical challenge of being on a journey together that it's, it's back to the discomfort, right? The discomfort of carrying all of your food and your bedding on your back, hiking up, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 foot gains in a day. And to do that together, it strips away a lot of the habitual crust that happens in, in you know, our everyday relating. And it opened up this space to have conversations that I actually never imagined that we could have. It was so beautiful and so deep. Him asking me questions about my childhood and you know, my experience of becoming a man and me sharing things that have been on my heart, things that I'd always wanted to share with him, but never really quite found the space or the opening about you know, what I know about being a man, becoming a man, the changes in the body, some mistakes I made in the past, some mistakes that other you know, people we love made in their past, and giving him a fuller picture of where he comes from. And there's something so beautiful and raw and touching about that. And I attribute that mostly to the shaking up the habitual ways of relating. And, you know, it kind of calls to mind this idea. Again, I'll, I'll bring Robert Bly in again, right? He seems to be present in this conversation. Kind of one of the primary figures of the men's movement in the 90s. And he just, he passed away, I think, just last year or the year before recently. He talks about the idea that the feminine connects most through sitting in a circle and often like sharing in a circle, right? So the masculine, so this is the feminine in us and the masculine in us, it can mean women or men, but the masculine in us connects by walking side by side. Sometimes in silence can be the deepest form of connection for the masculine. And I so experienced this with my son, right? And, you know, so sure, we can go on week-long backpacking trips. We can go to an event, a transformational event, a rite of passage event. But we also can just carve out an hour to walk side by side with our son. And I guarantee it will shift how we're relating to each other. It always does without fail. So <laughs> I was on my buddy's podcast, Jason Lang's podcast, Evolutionary Men. And he says several of his clients have come to him and said, the place that I get the most connection with my son is when I'm driving him somewhere. Mm. And it's the same thing about sitting side by side on a journey together with low expectation about needing to say anything, but just having a sense of presence with each other and focused attunement to each other. And that from there, whatever conversation needs to happen will emerge. 
if if more men could have confidence in that, I think that it would be it would just be such a benefit to the world. Because I feel like a, a lot of people that I talk to, a lot of men that I work with in different contexts, have a lot of anxiety about that. They're like, "Well, what am I going to say? Right? What do I go? What am I going to do? Like, like." But I agree with you completely. It's just setting the context, creating the space. That's the trick. Yeah. Um, and 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 when it comes up, you know, I mean, there's some different skills for the for the fathers, right? About grounding and staying present, not kind of losing themselves in the moment. But but that's frankly the easier part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the father son connection experience. This is what we're doing. This it, these are the, this is the training that we're providing for fathers and their boys. Experiences of rites of passage, ceremonial demarcations of entering into the teenage years, but also this kind of training ground for fathers to have meaningful, deep connections, probably with some level of discomfort because that's how we grow, and and definitely in a natural, beautiful, natural setting so that we can shake out of these habitual ruts of relating with our boys. So hopefully we're there for them when they need us as they enter into the teenage years. What are you hoping that your son takes from this experience? What does this do for him on his path? I have to say that more than anything, what I really hope it does is introduces him to the power of retreat. I mean, you know, like sort of coming back to the beginning of our conversation, there's no Nothing is more important. Nothing has been more important for me than retreats. Daily practices are fine and are, and are important, but but as my teacher Reggie Ray said, you know, all the growth happens on retreats. So for me, like if my son can have experientially this sense of like, wow, I'm, I'm have both the sort of the trepidation, the discomfort, the unknowing, all the things that sort of come as you're heading into experience like this, and then the challenge, the engagement, the full. Uh, you know, his full presence during it, and then kind of hopefully a sense of accomplishment and release and relaxation and spaciousness afterwards. Um, If he can kind of have all those notes struck in his own body and, you know, recognize and then hopefully see sort of the impact of, 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 of that journey and the content that we cover in his own life, that'd be a huge win. It would be so great. It'd be so great. Set him up for to create in himself the appetite for the next one, you know, for the, for, for, as you said, for the kind of the, the big rite of passage that's coming up into adulthood and, and then all of the things that he'll need to do to, to be a full and good adult. So the father-son connection experience, what else do people need to know about this, this event, Ted? Well, Luke, they need to know about our website, fathersonconnection.com and know that we have you know, we have two of these on the books right now. We, we're we're going to be gathering in Northern California, April 14th to 16th, 16th. And then we're going to be gathering in, in Colorado, September 29th, to October 1st. All right. So the website is fathersonconnection.com. We'll throw it in the, the show notes. And if people want to connect with you, Ted, how do, how do people find you? Tedrose.coach is my website and you can find more information there. Ted Rose. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Luke. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Crazy Wisdom. If you like what you heard, please do rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen. This helps new people find the show. Maybe more importantly, it helps us grow our Crazy Wisdom community. My hope for you is between now and the next time you listen, that you try one new thing, one thing that would help you live a life of deeper purpose, deeper meaning, a life of greater love. And maybe that one thing is a little different, a little odd, a little intense, perhaps even a little crazy.